0: You know, your tone of voice communicates a lot, doesn't it? Like the, way, like the way you talk, how you pronounce words, and how you say the tone that you use. Depending on the tone of someone's voice, you can tell if they're agitated, if they're happy, if they're confused, if they're confident, or if they're a little scared. You can kind of tell by someone's tone of voice. Just about any of the human emotions can be communicated by the tone of somebody's voice. From a literary perspective, I know we have a lot of readers and writers here. You guys love to read and write, and you you can have different tones even in the way you write as well. Depending on what is written, you can tell if the tone being communicated is done so gently or harshly, lovingly or with impatience, etc. You know, it can be a powerful tool to help get an idea across. Especially if there's something very important that you want to communicate. Tone of voice matters. In fact, even in our text messages, by the way, some of you do this a little bit too much. You read into your text messages a little bit too much, okay? But you can communicate. You can change your tone of voice in your text message, right? You you know, you write all caps, you know, you know, or whatever. You have emojis, right? If you're angry, where's that red angry face? I'm going to send a whole bunch of them because I'm really angry at this person right now. You can communicate the tone through the text messages as well. Now why am I talking about this? Because I wanted to ask you guys a question. What tone of voice do you think Paul has been writing this letter with? We've been in this book for some time now. I think you have a good idea or a good hand, uh, a good handle on the text. Let me help you paint this picture. Paul loves the believers in Galatia dearly. He cares about them a ton. And he played a huge part in their faith and in sharing the gospel with them and discipling them. But some religious false leaders, they show up at their doorstep to tell them that what Paul taught them was wrong. That salvation is not by grace through faith in Christ alone. <clears throat> that actually they have to comply with the law or the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. Paul gets word that the Galatians are being bamboozled into believing this nonsense. So, so Paul seeing himself as a spiritual father takes the time to pen this letter to correct this false teaching. That's the whole idea of why the book of Galatians is written. So, considering all that we've discussed so far and all that we've read up until now, what kind of tone do you think Paul's using? If he were using emojis, which one would he use? Do you think he, he's talking, do you think he's writing with a serious tone? A gentle tone? A soft tone? I wanted to help us visually paint this picture. I wanted to help visually paint this picture for you. So I wrote out some of Paul's saying so far in the book of Galatians, and I tried to put what I thought would be the appropriate emoji. Let's play a game, guys. Okay, let's play a game. Church is fun, right? It's not this boring, stuck-up place to be. It's fun, I I think. It should be. So let's play this game. I have a couple pictures. Here's the first one. This is one of the verses that we read. He said, (laughs) I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. What kind of emoji do you think he wrote? You guys can shout it out if you want. Just guess. Oh, I heard mind blown. Anybody else? Happy face. Okay. What else? Big eyes. All right. Let's see which one I thought it was. Mind blown. I'm, I'm amazed. You know, I shared the gospel with you guys. You're so quickly turning away. How about this Bible verse? You guys ready? You warmed up. That was a warm up. Here's the next one. But even if someone should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. What's the emoji? What do you, what do you think, guys? Shout it out. Angry. What do, what do you think? Devil face. <laughs> All right, let's see which one I, I went with. Oh, you can't see it. Why did it come out that color? Our project is messed up. It's the angry face, the red one. It's supposed to be red. You know, angry face. Okay, here's the last I think this is the last one. Here's the next verse. You foolish Galatians. Who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? What do you guys think? What kind of what kind of emoji do you think I use there? Or oh, what, what emoji should it be? You think the eye, roll. The, eye roll. the eye roll? Okay, yeah. All right. Let's see which one I went with. Oh, the steam coming out the nose. You know, great. But I think you guys get it. Like I think you guys understand. You know the, that's the tone that he's using in this book so far. I wanted to help visually paint this picture for you, and hopefully it did. Does that paint the picture for you? What tone do you think Paul writes this letter with? I think it's a serious tone with a sense of urgency. And it's imperative that he gets his message across to the Galatians, and he's using strong language to get a strong message across. Serious matters require serious treatment and a serious tone. The matter that Paul is addressing here is not a slight differing opinion of secondary and tertiary theological uh, matters. This is not, hey, do we sprinkle or dunk for baptism? This is not, do we serve real wine or grape juice for communion? That's not what he's talking about here. This was a serious matter that contradicted the essence of the gospel. The gospel says that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation or right standing with God. Listen, you can't wear nicer clothes to church on a Sunday to earn your salvation. You can't be more generous or charitable and earn your salvation. You can't hold the door for the person behind you or give up your seat on the train to a pregnant lady and earn your salvation. Though you should stop being a jerk and do that. That's a great thing to do. The gospel says that our sinfulness created an unrepayable debt which eternally separated us from God. But the gospel also says that while we are more sinful than we will ever know, God is more loving than we will ever know and sent Jesus to pay the sin debt that we owe. Jesus lived a a perfect and sinless life, died an innocent death, suffering the wrath of God in our place on the cross. But three days later, he conquered Satan's sin and death and victoriously emerged from the grave. And with his death and resurrection for all who put their faith in Jesus, we gain the forgiveness of sin and new life. And that's the gospel. But the moment we add anything to the pure and simple message of the gospel, we pollute and cheapen the power of the gospel. And for this reason, Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia with the serious tone that he does. Does it make sense why he's writing it this way, doesn't it? So let's continue to look into Paul's warning to the Galatians and see what we might glean from the scriptures today. As we read, ask yourself, uh, does Does um, the issue at hand, does it merit Paul's seriousness and tone to the matter? I think it does. And the reason why I believe so is because number one in your notes, if you want to take that out, go ahead, uh, clip your pens and write this down. Number one in your notes, the first fill in the blank. The Galatians were rejecting truth. The Galatians were rejecting truth. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says this, Where then is your blessing? for i testified to you that if possible you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me so then have i become your enemy because i told you the what the truth guys the truth hurts sometimes and paul here's comparing the relationship and attitude that the galatians had with him previously versus the verse uh, verses the response he's getting now after the galatians have been falsely led away by the judaizers Paul paints this dramatic picture of the Galatians willing to gouge out their eyeballs for him previously, you know, before, you know, being interacted with or told this lie by these uh, Judaizers. Uh, Remember last week we mentioned how Paul had initially, how he initially encountered the Galatians. He had become very sick. He had become very ill. And the believers in Galatia, they pulled together like a family to accept and to care for him and to commit to seeing Paul through his sickness. And so Paul says, man, you would have gouged out your eyes for me. Which is exactly why Paul is so taken aback by the response of the Galatians now. How could they have been so easily fooled into accepting another message and reject the truth that Paul had shared with them? And I really believe that this is something we need to talk about because the world would want you to believe that there's no such thing as truth. Or that truth is subjective. Your truth is true for you and my truth is true for me. That's what the world wants you to believe. Can you guys imagine going back to your first grade teacher and telling her, Hey, uh, 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 Miss Thornberry, you, you think two plus two is four? That's great that that's your truth. But for me, two plus two is five. Or how about your boss? How about you? you, would you can you imagine going to your boss? You know, I know that your truth is that I clocked in late every single day this week and, and that you want to dock my pay. But my truth is that time is relative and, uh, and I think that you should actually give me a raise. How about that? That's my truth. What would your boss do? Guys, that, that philosophical logic doesn't apply anywhere else in life. Yet, so often we try to apply this logic in questions of faith or religion or eternity. Guys, you need to understand that there is truth and that truth exists. And that's why the idea of all religions being basically the same thing is wrong. If Christianity teaches that it is only by faith in Jesus that you are saved, and another religion, religion teaches that eternity is granted to those who worship a pantheon of gods or a whole bunch of gods, there's a contradiction. They cannot be both true because they contradict each other. Do you guys understand? There is truth. And because there's truth, you should dedicate your life to seeking it out. Otherwise, why would you waste your time seeking out a lie? If Christianity were not true, if what we teach here is not true, why would you waste your time coming here? Go wherever truth is. But you see, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. I would love for you guys to read it uh, out loud with me. Ready? Go. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Would you guys just circle where he says that he's the truth right there. He's the truth. In the Galatians, uh, rejecting Paul's message or adopting the message of the false teachers from Jerusalem, they were rejecting the truth. They were rejecting the truth of the gospel. Do you guys think that merits the tone that Paul's writing with? I think so. The next reason for Paul's tone is this. Number two in your notes is that false teachers can be convincing. False teachers can be convincing. Paul said in verse 17, They, talking about the Judaizers, talking about, you know, these religious people that came from Jerusalem to to preach this false message, they court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue who? Them. Let's talk about this. Not everyone who claims to love God or teach the Bible or rocks a big old Kool-Aid smile behind a pulpit or on a stage is who they claim to be. There are false teachers, there are false preachers, there are false pastors who want to poison and pollute the truth of God's word in order to lead people astray. And this was certainly the case for the Galatians. Some religious leaders came, uh, some religious leaders had come after Paul had established the church in Galatia and presented their own idea to the believers there. And and uh, if you remember, they were telling the Galatians that besides faith in Christ, they had to submit to the Old Testament laws and the Old Testament regulations and ceremonial procedures in order to truly be saved. I can almost picture the religious leaders coming in fully clothed in their big old religious robes and clothing. They come in strutting with their religious walk, you know, the way religious people walk, looking for victims to indoctrinate with their false teaching. Or... And of course, we're reading into the text here. It doesn't quite describe this, but maybe they didn't come quite looking like that. Maybe they were quite loving and pleasant. Maybe they had big, friendly, and welcoming smiles. Maybe they expressed what seemed to be like genuine heartfelt concern in order to fool the Galatians into believing their teaching. Paul says, they court you eagerly, but not for good. In other words, they're relentless. They're cunning. They're smooth operators. They're real salesmen but not for good. False teachers can be real convincing as well. They're smooth talkers. They sound real knowledgeable or they look holy and pious or they say the right words. They know the words to say. They know how to say them. In fact, they might even stump you with their questions or with their responses. They court you eagerly but not for good. And this is so important for us to know because we're surrounded by false messages and false teachers all the time. People who want to fool you into believing a message that is contrary to the gospel. And Paul tells us that one of the ways that we can identify a false teacher, how? He says that they take the glory from God and they place it on themselves. Did you catch that? He says, they want to exclude you from me so that what? So that you would pursue them. And a short tell sign that someone is a false teacher is that they want to make much of themselves. The moment someone makes less of Jesus and more of themselves, you can be sure that they're a false teacher. False teachers want to make much of their knowledge of the Bible or much of their spirituality about how much they pray or how much they give or how much they read the Bible. Or they want to make much of their blessedness, how they're blessed and highly favored. And look how much the favor of the Lord is on me because of my holiness Or even much of their poverty. I'm in poverty because because God has me here. They want to make much of whatever. They don't want to make much of Jesus. Do you know what false teachers don't want to make much of? Of Jesus. But guys, it's all about Jesus. We're nothing without Jesus. Salvation is not experienced apart from Jesus. Eternity is not secure without Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And big brother Paul has to step in and step up to these bullies which are leading astray all his brothers and sisters in Galatia. If some smooth-talking, sidestepping, smooth-dressing wannabe came to court or lure or or seduce your brother or your sister, what kind of tone would you have? You'd be all up in their grill, right? All up in their face, especially if you're from Bushwick. We don't play. Paul's tone is one of empathy and sympathy is there. That's why he's writing the letter. But it's also a serious and strong tone for a serious and strong matter. So then, what should be the response of the Galatians as Paul addresses them with this tone? What should be our response when we find ourselves in a similar situation? Here's number three in your notes. Remain teachable and accept correction. remain teachable and accept correction Paul says verse 19 and 20 listen to his heart in these verses, listen to to the words that he's saying, my children look how he calls them, my children I love you like you were my kids I am against suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice, what's his tone of voice? angry emoji smoke out the nose emoji because I don't know what to do about you. Guys, you can see the real agony and pain that Paul is writing to his, in this letter to his friends in Galatia. He's saying he's suffering labor pains for them. First of all, I know what you ladies, those of you that have given birth, I know what you're talking about. You're, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Paul, what do you know about labor pains, right? But nevertheless, the imagery remains. The massive amounts of agony over this situation in Galatia haunt Paul. And it keeps him up at night. And this is why Paul is using this tone throughout the letter to try and get a very important message across, which is his friends are being led astray. And Paul won't we would, would want nothing more for the Galatians than for them to receive this rebuke and to correct their ways. He says he wants Christ to be formed in them. Would you guys underline that part in the Bible verse where it says he wants Christ to be formed in them? You see, for Christ to be formed in us, is to walk humbly in submission in our inability to save ourselves and Christ's power to save us. It's for Christ to be for, for Christ to be formed in us. Is to grow in Christ's likeness and to become more like Him and in our attitude and in our lives. For Christ to be formed in us is to reject false teachers and humbly follow His way and His truth. It is to see all the ways that we fall short and allow Jesus to cover us and provide the righteousness that we need. And for Christ to be formed in us is to humbly receive rebuke, to learn from our mistakes, to remain humble and teachable in the process so that we can grow in our faith and in our walk with Christ. Guys, there's two ways the Galatians could respond to Paul's tone. They can get upset, reject his message, and even reject Paul altogether, or they can humbly submit to his rebuke, repent of their error, and humbly pursue the true gospel. How do you respond to rebuke? Do you think you know all the answers? Are you unteachable? Are you quick to dismiss any sort of rebuke? Or are you teachable and willing to accept correction so that Christ may be formed in you? Some of you are unable to grow because you're unwilling to receive rebuke. And you're unable to grow because you're unteachable remain teachable, and accept correction for the purpose of having Christ formed in you. Do you know what I pray for every single one of us? I pray that Christ would be formed in us. I pray that we would have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his power to save, and not our own. I pray that if you're here today and you have not surrendered to Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see your sin and your need for a savior. I pray that you would see your inability to save yourself, and I pray that you would see your good deeds and your religiosity as filthy rags. I pray you would see Jesus as who he truly is, a humble and gentle king upon his throne, who left his throne to become like one of us, who lived a perfect and sinless life, though being tempted in every way as we are, and a king who exchanged a crown of gold for a crown of thorns, and who hung on a cross in excruciating pain and died in our place to pay the wrath of God owed to us. I pray that you would see Jesus as who he truly is, that though he died bloodied and battered, he rose from the grave with all power over life and death, victoriously crushing the head of Satan and the grip that sin had on us, and with his death and life granting us forgiveness of sin and a new life. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up here, and they're going to lead us. In, uh, in one more song, and I'm just going to ask you guys to join me in prayer. If you're here today and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to do so, and you can let us know. It's a decision between you and God, and I would never want to force or course you to make that decision, but there's a way that you can let us know if you've made that decision, and that's by your connection cards. If everybody would take out their connection cards you know, right now, turn it around, because on their back there's some important next steps for everybody to take uh, here today, whether you're a-, a-, a follower of Jesus or not. If you've made that decision today, the way you can let us know you've made that decision is by checking it off right there and let us know. And later today, when the offering bucket goes around, you can drop that in there and let us know. As a church family, we want to put a Bible in your hand, give you some next steps, and celebrate with you that decision to follow Jesus. For the rest of us here today, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage us to realize our need for Jesus and accepting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is truth. And Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Beware of false teachers that can be very convincing and lead you astray from following this truth. Remain teachable, accept correction, and allow Christ to be formed in your hearts. Would you guys bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray with me. Lord, serious matters require a serious tone. And I'm grateful that you would love us so much that you would speak to us and draw us into relationship and give us opportunities to repent and welcome us into your family through Jesus. I pray that we would see Jesus for who he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray you would guard us from false teachers that we would not be easily led astray. And Lord, I pray that we would be a teachable people, accepting of correction, that we would humbly fall before our faces in full submission and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.